in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. As we have driven all the way to Alaska, currently we are spending some time in Fairbanks around Alaska. We've been in quite a few different spots. I've seen so many bike campers and it was reminded of my conversation with a guest from episode 47, Mason Gravely. We have crossed over six months of travel, putting on over 13,000 miles since January in the RV and we've been all across the country. When my pass bike campers along various highways throughout Alaska and Canada, it brings new meaning about like traveling across the country to me. I think it's just a very fascinating way to see things differently. I remember our first experience meeting a bike camper was in Southern Oregon when we were traveling along the coast. It's just very fascinating. So I wanted to bring back this story. Mason's story is very interesting. I don't suggest just jumping on a bike and leaving from Fairbanks on your way to the Keys. So I I do want to put that little disclaimer out there, but I think it's an interesting story about what can happen because of adventure. And if you aren't on my email list, I'll just give you a quick insight. This week on the email list, I share some untourist experiences in Alaska, some of the ways we made it through our hike in Denali using the mindset of simple adventure tactics, and some gear that we're really appreciating to keep us adventuring amidst the swarms of mosquitoes this year. Can't always control all of the conditions, can you? If you aren't subscribed to the email list, I encourage you to do so. The link is in the show notes. But if you also enjoy these ideas, find inspiration from my work, or just want to support our work, feel free to buy me a cup of coffee to say thanks and support the show. Coffee and ice cream are staples in our adventure diet and help me keep the content creation process flowing. I began listening to podcasts in 2018, and our guest today was on a short list of podcasts that I first came across. I did a search for adventure, and there were very few podcasts, quite honestly, His guests tell amazing stories of epic adventures from climbing mountains to kayaking the Inside Passage to dog sledding in Alaska, many through hikes, around the world travels, you name it. They're awesome. And while I participate in some level of adventure sports, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an epic adventurer like the ones I had heard on his podcast. So earlier this summer, I sent him a message just to say how grateful I was for his podcast, for the inspiration he's offered me throughout the years. And I took a screenshot of my written review that I left for him and just said, hey, if you ever just want an ordinary person creating a life of adventure with kids, I'd happily volunteer to be a guest on your podcast and offered him, invited him to be a guest on the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. So I've had the luxury now, long story short, of being a guest on his podcast, which was episode 764, How to Adventure with Kids or Any Other Major Responsibility. As you will soon hear, his ordinary life turned adventurous is marked by a thread of curiosity and exploring what's possible. He's completed several cross-country bike trips now, 
and hosts the Adventure Sports Podcast and Without Compromise Podcast of Athletic Brewing. Heck, his wedding even seemed adventurous. I just can't imagine being in his circle and how much life has changed because of adventure. He also just recently added a second child to the mix and so certainly is leaning into the title of Adventure Dad. Mason Gravely, it is such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Ordinary Sherpa. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a it's a pleasure. I'm excited. Yeah, we had the pleasure of talking earlier. So I know a little bit about you, but I would love you to tell my listeners more. Just what drew you to adventure sports? What's a little bit of your backstory and how did you end up in this space? Shoot, I got into adventure sports. Well, I grew up hunting and fishing um, like a lot of kids do. A lot of people do, uh, especially here in the South. I grew up in the South, Central Florida. And what I tell people is when, when you get away from the coast in Florida, it, you quickly... It quickly turns into Georgia and Alabama type of uh, type of feel, rural feel, very southern, but also swampy and lots of wildlife, lots of fish, lots of nature. Grew up kind of at the headwaters of the Everglades, uh, Lake Okeechobee, just a swampy gator infested part of the, the state. <laughs> and um, just always into stuff. My dad would take us fishing and hunting. We were terrible at both. And so when I got older... I thought, I don't need to go out there and try to catch something or to shoot something because I usually never do. And so instead of going out and coming back and feeling like a failure every time, why don't I just go out there and enjoy it for being there? So one of my favorite parts about hunting as a kid was not looking for deer or turkeys. It was just being out there in nature. I think that that really gave me a good foundation to enjoy the outdoors. And so when I started to combine those two things, it's like, all right, let me drop the gun, drop the bow, drop the, you know, the fishing rod, drop the baseball bat and the basketball. How do I, you know, putting sports together with the outdoors really clicked. And uh, that wasn't until college, though. I can tell that story how I did my first trip. Yeah. Kind of jumped right in. Yeah, do it. Go ahead. Cool. Well, so my friends and I just, we liked being outside. Um, even in college, climbing trees and just being outdoors, explore, exploring really is what I loved. You know, anytime we went to a city or went somewhere, we would just explore. We'd go out after the game, you know, during a snowstorm or whatever it was, and just walk around the town. It could be a small town or a big city, and we would just go explore. We wouldn't have a car or anything. This was kind of before Uber and all that, before smartphones, really. Kind of just kept doing that, kept playing basketball, traditional sports, team sports. And uh, so my buddy was finishing his last year of school. He was my roommate, my best friend, Paul. And we just kept talking every day. This was his last year. I still had like three years left. So I, no, no, two years. I was a sophomore. And he would always say, man, we got to do something. We got to do something when I get out of school. And we'd always talk about things other people were doing. We heard about these kids that, in the UK that like sailed from one magnetic pole to the other. So like the magnetic North Pole to the magnetic South Pole. And we're like, you know, Central Florida kids. We don't know anything about the outside world. Never seen mountains, anything like that. He had never really gone camping. I at least had gone camping a lot as a kid with my dad. And I had a world map on my wall in the apartment. I got it at a yard sale for like, you know, a, a dollar or two. And it still had USSR as Russia. Like it was a pretty old map. And we just, I would always look at that map and brainstorm like, what can we do? And the idea of like the Appalachian Trail would come up. And, and we knew nothing, by the way. Like we knew nothing, absolutely nothing. And then one day, he said, I wonder how far we could ride a bike. You know, how far can you, obviously biking is faster than walking. Can you 
like wear a backpack and carry everything you need on a bike. Cause we had no clue like bike packing existed or bike touring existed. We just thought we were coming up with some novel idea. And we looked at the map and thought, you know, what if we flew to Alaska, central Alaska somewhere and rode our bikes all the way back here to Florida, central Florida. And he goes, how cool would that be? I said, man, that would be amazing. Do you think we could do that in the summer? Because I still had to go back to school. And he goes, well, and my girlfriend's graduating at the end of the summer. So I would only have the same amount of time you did to make this happen. And we shook on it right there. This was back like right before the semester ended for the holidays. We were getting ready to get into the holiday season. We both decided right there, let's do this. Let's just fly to Alaska, get bikes and ride it back. And I remember Paul, he's kind of a quirky dude. I remember him saying before he left for class was, what do you say? I give this thing a 20% chance of happening. And I'm like, dang, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> One in five. And so I immediately went straight to the library, like a half a mile down the road. I actually had a, a yard sale bike at the time that I'd used to commute to class. It was about six inches too short for me. I'm a tall guy. I'm like six, four. And uh, this was a very small bicycle. My knees would just about hit my chin. And it was about 50 pounds. Like it was just a terrible bike, but I would ride it and thought to myself, maybe I could take this on there. So I started doing all this research. I printed out a diagram of a bicycle with all the parts labeled because I had no clue what anything was called. I just, you know, rode bikes as a kid like anyone did. Nothing special at all. And that's kind of where it began. That's where it began. So over the next six months, we did two practice rides that were literally, it went awful, 40 mile rides. Like it was not anything special. We both played basketball for the basketball team. So we did have like some base fitness and we were young. I was 20. Yeah, it was crazy. I remember telling my mom, I was in the library. I think I told her like three days later, I'm like, mom, I'm going to do this. She goes, no, like, no, the hell you're not. <laughs> you are not doing that. And I'm like, dang, it, it shocked me that she wasn't into it. But yeah, we slowly started convincing people. And I mean, our parents were thought we were this is the dumbest thing in the world. Our friends were taking bets on where we'd quit or where we'd get, you know, hit by a truck. Like it was crazy how little faith people had. But why would they? No one, we'd never heard of anybody doing anything like this. Right. But we started researching and realized it was this whole, you know, subculture of people traveling by bike or through hike on trails and doing this kind of stuff. So yeah, needless to say, about two days after school got out in May, we flew our bikes to Fairbanks, Alaska, one way, and uh, jumped on. It, all we had for warm gear were our basketball warm-ups, some very random stuff, like the little hand warmers that you take. It's a cold day at a football game or something, and we just set off without a clue of how to do anything. Heck, when we started, we didn't even know how to change a flat tire. We just, <laughs> we just left. Wow. Wow. Okay, I have so many questions, actually. <laughs> Because yeah, I also think, <laughs> yeah, still, right? Uh, like, why did you do this again? Why no. did I do that? I love this concept because I think sometimes some of our greatest adventures come from the craziest ideas or maybe the stupidest ideas. It depends on how you want to frame them. But you learn so much along the way of things that you never really thought you needed to know until you needed to know them. So we're just going to start. You arrive in Alaska. Did you have a bike or did you have to buy a bike? So, I mean, I've got stories. I mean, every, every turn in this first trip is just an amazing story. I didn't have bikes, but I, I would go into a bike shop near campus and, and kind of do some window shopping, I guess. 
And uh, it was about a week or, you know, a month, probably a month before we left, we still did not have bikes. We had purchased some bikes from yard sales, literally, mine was $10. And Paul's, we couldn't talk this dude down. We purchased his for $100, but it was still about 10 years old, pretty worn out road bike. And I had taken him to a bike shop and said, hey, is there anything you can do? Like, what could you take a look at him? He goes, you're about to take these bikes from uh, from Alaska back here? And he goes, I don't think so, this this bike shop owner. And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, all right, well, we're going to try anyway. And we bought a few things, left the bike shop. And I happened to just come back in that same bike shop a few days later. I walked in, the owner saw me. He goes, oh my gosh, man, I'm so glad you came back in here. I was thinking about what you were doing over the weekend. And thought, you know, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I've got to help you guys in some way. So if you don't mind, I'd love to give you, a gift you, literally, brand new touring bicycles, about $1,500 bicycles. And my jaw just dropped. We needed them, like, right away. It happened right then. And so yeah. when that happened is when, you know, my parents especially were, like, convinced, all right, this is meant to be. This is supposed to happen. Yeah, I still keep in touch with this guy today. He's, uh, anytime I need something for my bikes, I go to his shop or order from his website. And so uh, Jason Brown, Road and Trail Cycles in uh, Highland City, Florida. Thank you so much for having faith in us. Yeah. Oh, that is such an... <laughs> so that's how I got a bike. Yeah. That is such an awesome story though, because I think we always... That's one of the best things about this community. And I don't think... It's like a little secret that people don't know until you're in it is the generosity I have experienced and actually receiving other people's generosity in this space has just been profound. It has changed me in ways more than adventure ever has because, you know, when you're falling apart and things aren't going to plan or you're not sure how you're going to make that next step, it's just been amazing what shows up in my life. And usually it's the generosity of others. So I love that story. And there's no other way we could have done it. Like we could, I mean, we could have done it on the bikes. We have people do it all the time. We have them on the show, but, uh, for our first trip, it's such a big, daunting task, 5,300 miles and so young and inexperienced. It gave us a lot of peace of mind and gave us a lot of confidence, I will say that. Yeah. Okay. So now we arrive in Fairbanks. I'm going to take us back on this moment for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have been researching even just driving to Alaska is tricky. So how did you end up deciding your route and what were some of the, un, you know, give us maybe the top three unpredictables as you're getting off on your way. What were things that you were like, whoa, didn't prepare for this. But I'd like to know a little bit about your route first. <laughs> like, how did you even decide which way you were going to yeah. get back? Well, we went to Walmart and bought an Atlas. <laughs> And then just cut out the states and the provinces that we'd go through or we thought we'd go through. And then just started looking at what made sense. You know, like I said, Paul actually had an iPhone right before we left, which was able to like save some maps. It was pretty basic. And then I had the Atlas. I didn't have a smartphone. And we just headed, honestly, just southeast. About as straight as you can go. There isn't a ton of options out in Alaska. And the reason we went to Fairbanks, uh, we, we didn't know why we went to Fairbanks. We were going to go to Anchorage because it was a little shorter and a little more, you know, nothing against Fairbanks, a little bit, a little more picturesque, I guess, than Fairbanks is. Fairbanks is like an old mining town, you know, it's kind of out in the tundra almost. And uh, Anchorage is on the ocean. It's gorgeous. Lots of mountains. There's animals. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And we had it, and we also had a teammate that lived in Anchorage uh, that would go home in the summers. And we're like, oh, it's perfect. We got someone on our team that lives there. We can go hang out. We just felt like we should go to Fairbanks, and we didn't know why. But about two months before we left for the trip, I was telling somebody in my little town of about three thousand people in Florida, like, hey, I'm getting ready to do this trip, or they were asking me about it, like at a cafe or something. Mm-hmm. 
And they said, hey, you should come over to my house. One of my neighbors has families down from Alaska right now and you should meet them. And I said, you know, okay, you know, sounds like a wild goose chase, but you know, I had nothing to do. It was raining. I was, I was like, all right, I'll go over there. And uh, I walk into his house and there's this older couple sitting on a couch and, and by old, probably, you know, mid eighties, uh, they're, they're, they're fairly old people. And I said, hi, are you, you the folks from Alaska? And they said, yeah, yeah, we're, uh, we're the butlers. Are you this crazy kid we're hearing that's going to like bike from Fairbanks to Florida? And we had already purchased the one-way ticket by this point. And they were like, tell me more. What are you doing? The coolest thing was this, these folks were literally in their eight, late 80s. Um, and they had driven back and forth to Florida to Alaska for the last 40 years, every year, back and forth. Just made it a big, wow. you know, two-month experience where they would just explore and see things. So they knew this route like the back of their hand. I asked them tons of questions. I told them that all this, this trip was actually going to fund an orphanage in Uganda that I had visited the summer before. And uh, we were just raising money to like build this orphanage. And they had been missionaries in Uganda for like 10 years, back in their working years, uh, which was another coincidence. And I asked, you know, do you have a bike shop in Fairbanks? Like, we don't know how to put our bikes back together once, you know, we ship them up there. They were like, actually, we own the largest bike shop in Fairbanks, Alaska. So, you know, ship it right here and we'll put it together for you. And in fact, you can stay with us for a couple of days while you get ready. So it was the most incredible contact to run into kind of out of the blue in a little town in Florida. Another pretty amazing moment where we thought to ourselves, this, this is supposed to happen. I literally write down my flight times right there in their hand. I didn't have a phone to like, you know, forward it to them or text it to them. I just wrote it down and said, all right, we're going to be landing here. Here's my flight number. And sure enough, didn't talk to them for the next two months. And there they were waiting on us when we landed, took us immediately to go get a meal, fed us. They, they were just the most wonderful charming couple who had been all around the world, made their home in Alaska, had family in our hometown, had never crossed paths my whole life until that moment. And so we stayed with them a couple of days, got some food together, got some, uh, they made us some like homemade cookies and stuff to take with us. It was incredible. And then we left, we left after about two nights at their house and we were extremely enthusiastic, nervous, of course, uh, we headed off in Fairbanks, headed towards Toke, Alaska, and then uh, Delta Junction, I believe, essentially towards the Canadian border, which we thought would take us a couple days to get to. Mm -hmm. And right out of the gate, it started snowing. We didn't do a lot of research, I'll be honest. Like we thought, okay, you know, it's May, you know, it's early May in Florida. That's, you know, 95 degrees. How cold can it really <laughs> be in May? And if you're from anywhere that has a winter, you know that May can be just absolutely frigid. Yep. And the farther you go up, up towards the pole, like, good gracious, Alaska, it can be the worst time of the year to start something like that. And sure enough, it snowed and rained on us for the first three days, and it was absolutely miserable. And like I said, when we were on the flight coming into uh, Fairbanks, I turned to Paul, like kind of shocked. And I was like, Paul, we didn't look up how to change a flat tire. Like, do you know how to change a flat tire? He's like, nah, man, I, I didn't look it up either. You know, maybe we won't have a flat tire is what I thought to myself. Well, in the first 10 miles, we had two. And so we had to oh quickly figure out how to change a flat, which took us an hour, hour and a half. Like it was pathetic how, how we had no clue what to do. But we started figuring out we did have a small pump with us. It took about 300 pumps to get a, a tire inflated. So got that one fixed, immediately had another flat and just kept running into little things like that. It was really deflating, no pun intended, uh, right from the get-go. I mean, the weather, 
the animals, like a moose ran out in front of us and almost knocked me off my bike. It fell in the middle of the road. It was just a little bit of a shocking experience. We've had bears right out the gate. It was wild. It was absolutely yeah. wild. I've been to Alaska a fair number of times, probably a handful of times. And so all of those things you were just talking about, I'm like, gosh, I feel like they don't have a clue. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I really applaud you for, I mean, we've been talking about taking the RV up and that's the number one thing is people are like, well, expect a flat tire, you know, right out of the gate or at least on the way. And the moose are probably the most unpredictable, you know, and they get pretty, I think everyone's scared of bears. I'm like, moose are equally as crazy, especially in yeah. certain seasons. And so I'd be more afraid of hitting a moose than probably getting attacked by a bear. Now you said as you were exploring this subculture, had you gotten to that point where you started to realize you needed to carry more than a backpack? Did you have uh, a tent along or what did you do for sleeping arrangements? <laughs> Gosh. So I bought a $20 sleeping bag off Amazon. It was literally $21. Uh, it was essentially a bed sheet when it arrived. And I thought, oh, this will be fine. It's rated for 30 degrees. I'm good down to 30 degrees. But it was a poorly made piece of equipment that uh, a poor college student could afford. And it was probably closer, you know, rated for about 70, 70 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> it was terrible. Didn't bring a sleeping pad. I had no clue what that was. Or I'm like, oh, I don't need, you know, a comfy mattress to sleep. And I can sleep on the ground. I didn't realize just how much heat retention uh, was involved in having a sleeping pad and why that's so important versus, you know, m even more so than, than the comfort that it provides. Uh, I used a camel bag. Someone gave me a camel bag before I left. Uh, I used that as a pillow every night. And the first night I slept on it and it wasn't properly closed and it leaked out oh, everywhere. No. And the temperature dropped to about 19 degrees that night. So all the water froze inside the tent, froze all over my sleeping bag. My hair was frozen. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. I cried pretty regularly those first few days, kind of getting used to it all. So yeah, like we had not done enough research or enough training or enough anything really, but in a lot of ways, I don't think, I don't think I would have been able to get ready. I'm kind of glad I left being naive because it taught me that you can really figure a lot of things out when you get on the road. Riding a bike is, you know, kind of like the saying goes, you know, it's easy as riding a bike. You just kind of have to ride a bike all day long, every day and you go places like it's pretty phenomenal <laughs> and you just set up camp wherever you go. So we did buy a couple cheap panniers off a site called Nash Bar that provides kind of like discount gear. And then my dad and I actually made out of electrical conduit, a trailer, a bike trailer that could haul like a Home Depot cargo, like tote. Mm -hmm. And that was a terrible idea because every time we went down a hill and started gaining speed, it'd get the speed wobbles and flip over and knock Paul off his bike immediately, like immediately flip over and almost put his life at danger by pulling him out in traffic. So after about five spills with that, we pulled into an RV park and said, does anybody want this piece of crap? Because you can have it. <laughs> and I hate it because we did a really good job. It would have been the coolest little cart to pull around town and, you know, carry little things around campus. But no way could we pull it back from Alaska. Oh, my gosh. The lessons you learn. I love thinking through and hearing this story, though, in the same sense. And I apologize if I'm laughing, but I'm also thinking, like, what a gift, because sometimes we talk ourselves out of these scenarios because we're so afraid of what could happen. Oh, yeah. And I love that you just did it and experienced some of potentially the worst case scenarios and you still live through it to tell this amazing story. And 
now we can use it and say, gosh, why can't I ride across the country? You know, I think this story has so much merit to inspire others. I know this isn't the end of the story. You did make it back to Florida. Is this a correct assumption? Because I know you've done a couple now. So how does this story kind of evolve and how many coast to coast trips have you done now? Yeah. So it took us about 66 days. We made it back to Florida. We started going at a pretty good clip as it got up towards the end. And by the end, you know, our fa- we went to Paul's house, literally to right to his driveway. He had his family. My family was over. They thought, I mean, it, it was just blew people's minds that you could do this. Blew our minds, um, but it really opened our eyes to what's possible. And so when we got back, it immediately was like, we, we got to do this again somehow. So the next summer, I decided to go up pretty much to the Canadian border from, from the same place from college campus, drive off pretty much from my apartment and bike all the way up the coast. And then the next year, pretty much every year after that, in the summer from school, I would do a cross-country ride of some sort, either coast to coast or north to south or multiple. You know, I'd go one way, then turn around and go back. And so I ended up doing about five cross-country trips over the next few years. And uh, all of them had some sort of like charitable element to it where we were able to raise, you know, quite a bit of money for different causes and go give time to those causes after the ride. And I just fell in love with the concept of doing adventures for great reasons. And so, uh, yeah, when I graduated college, I planned a big six-month tour to all the national parks out west. And I just literally did two big loops of the country, seeing every national park and biking to all of them and spending time and hiking. It was it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm so excited to hear more about this. And that's what I did, actually. I have been listening to your Adventure Sports podcast for quite some time, actually. And a lot of the stories you feature on the podcast are some of these really epic it has shown me and opened my eyes to what is possible. And so how did you go from, you know, graduating college? Is is there other pieces of your career story before th- that led you to the podcast? Or how did you get involved in this podcast, the Adventure Sports Podcast, that really inspires so many to just embrace and, and know what's possible with adventure? Oh, great question. So yeah, when I finished that bike tour through the national parks, I settled in Yosemite. I got a job there, lived in you know one of those military style tents and worked there. I met a wonderful young lady and we dated for a few months and I was, you know, the summer was ending and uh, I was like, hey, let's, uh, let's go to Vegas in a low. Oh, <laughs> and so we did. So we drove straight from Yosemite Valley to start a new life in Denver. Uh, we wanted to go to a city that that had the outdoor culture and somewhere that maybe provided a little more opportunity than Yosemite Valley. I definitely kick myself sometimes thinking like, yeah, we could have tried to make it a little more there, but we, we headed off to Denver, stopped in Vegas, went to the mall and got a ring and uh, went to the courthouse and got married. And then our road trip to Denver was our honeymoon. And then we settled there in Denver for about six years, living our life. I started a backpacking company with a friend where we would, teach people how to backpack remotely. Like we wouldn't actually go with them. I painted houses to make ends meet. Like I just kind of lived, you know, I've never really had a plan with a career. I studied biology and my goal was to be a biologist in Yosemite. And that's what I was actually interning doing, but realized I just didn't like that kind of line of work and loved nature, loved the outdoors, loved learning about it, but, but didn't want to, didn't want to do research uh, by any means. It wasn't that personality. 
I worked on this backpacking company that was actually going really well. It was just, you know, hard because we were living on my wife, who's a teacher. She was a substitute teacher for a while, but she started full-time teaching. Living in Denver on a full-time, you know, on a teacher's salary, trying to grow a family is a little tough. So as a way to help promote the backpacking company, I would try to get on podcasts or I, or I would be invited to podcasts because people would hear about my trips or I'd talked about them on Instagram and people were like, yeah, come on on a podcast. So uh, I was on this one show called the Adventure Sports Podcast at one point and I told a story about, I think I did one about some of the bike trips and then one I was trying to climb all the 14ers in Colorado in one trip. I would bike to a 14er, climb it, come down, bike to the next one, like mountain bike to the next one and try to do all of them, all 58. And uh, that was a crazy experience. And I, I didn't finish that. That kicked my butt big time. Uh, but anyway, they wanted to hear about it. And I remember the second time I was on the show, Kurt, who is the host and a good friend now, Kurt, I don't think he'll mind me saying this. He just sounded a little burnt out uh, of being the host of the show. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of sensed in his voice that like, hey, he sounds like he's a little over this just a little bit. So I offered right there. I was like, hey, man, if you ever need help hosting the show, let me know. Um, he's like, all right, now I appreciate that. I didn't hear anything from him for a couple of months and I get an email a couple of months later and it's, uh, it's Kurt. He says, Hey man, you know, me and Travis, they, they co-hosted the show together. They're like, we're kind of done with this. <laughs> Would you like to just own the show? We'll sell it to you, you know, for a fraction of what it's worth. And we just want to see it continue and see it grow. And so the opportunity was just kind of laid right in my hands, but I, I'd say the, um, the lesson there, you know, you could say it was given to me in a lot of ways, but the lesson there is, you know, you have not because you asked not. And you do not, don't say something. You know, the reason we did the Alaska trip is because we said, hey, let's do this. And then it just immediately, that was the spark that started this whole fire. I'm always someone that kind of just sees a random opportunity and says, hey, let's go for it. You know, I do it all the time. Like I try to be someone that's like, this might be an incredible, the start of something incredible, or it just might be a fun little experience on the side. You know what I mean? For instance, like I had one person say, hey, um, then we're at this festival or something, they're like, hey, can you watch my table for a while um, while I go to the bathroom? I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. And when they got back, I was like, hey, can I just help you run the table for the day? They were like, yeah. And I just got a feel for like what this line of work was like. You know, it could have been the start of a whole new career, a whole new thing or a whole new business venture, but uh, always doing stuff like that. And this was just another one of those things that happened to take off. So I started meeting up with Kurt and they trained me to take over the show. And I've been hosting uh, ever since. And that was about three years ago. That's awesome. That's so fascinating. And I love that story too, because I think just asking, we're so afraid going back to fear, right? So you could have talked yourself out of an experience. You could have talked yourself out of asking, but curiosity is really a good indicator of what's possible too. And sometimes we just need to ask. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's how I got married in Vegas. <laughs> I just asked her, I said, Hey, do you want to go get married tomorrow? I love. Um, we can leave tonight and be there in the morning. That's so amazing that you found a partner that's willing to be so spontaneous with you. I love it. My husband took a lot more convincing <laughs> <laughs> and I did not have to ask him. He did actually ask, but it took a lot of convincing to get into this adventure realm with him. So it's kind of funny. That's awesome. I tell you what, you know, it, it's easy to ask and to get a yes sometimes, but the hard part is like sticking with it. You know, it's, yeah. I asked her to marry me and then we started living together and figuring all that out. And it's like, yeah, gum, this is ours. <laughs> you yeah. know, this is, this and, is very difficult. And just same with the podcast. It's like, heck yeah, let's do it. You realize how much is involved and how much they've done. But, you know, I dedicated a lot of time initially to, to, to make the show grow and to interview great guests and 
had a lot of early wins that really propelled the numbers and, and the downloads and the listenership. And now it's a it's a really good size show. And I will say, you know, I'm not I don't do it full time anymore, but I put out two episodes a week uh, and have been for the last three years. I was doing three episodes a week for a while, three brand new episodes. Now I do two. And most of the time, one of them is a revisited episode. It's at a place I really enjoy. It's an amazing platform to just share ideas and to have a there's not a whole lot of places in today's world you can have an in-depth conversation with people and feel like you really got to know. How else would you right. and I talk? You know what I mean? Right. We're not going to, I'm not going to fly to Wisconsin to have coffee and you're not going to fly to Florida. And it's not like a time we're going to make it. It's almost like one of the only ways you can have an in-depth conversation with a stranger today. Right. Have it be meaningful. And it's one of the few mediums I've ever had where you can actually build a relationship because it is a little bit more, you've got 45 minutes or an hour. You know, it's it's unheard of in today's society. Usually you get 40 characters or a post on some social media site. That's not really how relationships work. So I would agree. Podcasting has been like the megaphone of my brand. And I've had so much fun having conversations with really fascinating people. So it's been, and who knows, maybe someday I will come to Florida and we will have a couple Awesome. or or maybe a beer <laughs> yeah and that's the thing there you go have a beer now i will say that that uh you know come a lot of friends you feel like you know people a little bit more when they because when you're podcasting too you're on your a game you're trying to share your most insightful thoughts your most impactful conversations or your most pivotal moments in life and if someone hears you out about that you feel you know you feel connected to them yeah I do look forward to that day, Mason. We are going to connect at some point in life, I swear. All right. I believe you. (laughs) It started with this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I know that you also have had some role or connection to the brand Athletic Brewing Company. And I know a lot of people, so I'm from Wisconsin and beer is a large part of the culture here, but it's also a large part of my friends and be really honest and say, I'm really curious how does one combine their life of this adventurous sports and activities to that of brewing? How did that happen? How did that come about? Oh, such a great, uh, such a, it's a great reason why podcasting just, just ties so many things together. So sitting here hosting the show, the backpacking company was doing great. And then I, I was, uh, we were getting ready to have our first kid a couple years ago. And uh, things just, you know, started not working out. My partner in business uh, bought me out and I left uh, the company. Uh, But I had purchased this podcast as a way to promote that company and, you know, advertise for it originally and grow the network um, and just get to know people in the industry. And uh, I was kind of left with the podcast again because we didn't purchase it through the company. It was a thing I did. And so I was talking about it a little bit on the show. I was like, you know, I mentioned something about, you know, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the company and just looking forward to, you know, what's next or figuring something out. And the owner of Athletic Brewing, Bill Schufelt, who was in the middle of building this, the first ever fully dedicated non-alcoholic brewery, like non-alcoholic beer, craft beer, that is. He sent me an email and said, hey, man, I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of, uh, I go to all these investor meetings or I drive to breweries or do events all over the Northeast. It's based in Connecticut. And I listen to your show as inspiration. I hope to do with a lot of these things one day. And I'm interested to know if we could sponsor your show or, or, or do something together. Uh, and the idea we came up with was do an adventure grant together where we, they would, you know, essentially front a thousand bucks and we'd run a uh, venture grant application and people could apply. And then whoever won would go do their trip and then be interviewed on the show. 
and it would be brought to us by Athletic Bruin. And they'd sponsor the show outright for a few months. And it was kind of a cool opportunity that came out of nowhere. And after that initial adventure grant, we enjoyed the experience so much together. It was like, hey, we should keep you on board and do other things like this. So literally it came from a listener. It was just a listener of the show that heard, you know, I was looking for that next or taking this next step or this next turn in the road and being opportunistic and, and kind of always being alert. My wife jokes about it. I won't, I'm always like one of the biggest lessons, just be alert. Just be, just be looking around. There's, there's opportunity everywhere. There's things everywhere. Like there's nature everywhere. I talk about that all the time. I mean, you can go out in your front lawn, get on your hands and knees and look down at the grass and see an entire world of prey and predator relationships and uh, symbiotic relationships and all kinds of life happening right there. And if you just kind of look at the world like that as this big, amazing opportunity, things are just bound to happen. And so kind of just thinking that way and, and keeping my eyes open, this thing popped up and decided to run with it. And I've been here two years now, actually two years this week. Um, and it's been the most incredible job, experience, career change I've ever had. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's been, the, it's, it's been incredible. It's absolutely been incredible. Nothing I could ever plan for with my biology degree, riding bikes to national parks. But here we are making non-alcoholic craft beer. And some of the cool things that tie it to adventure sports specifically is uh, 2% of all our sales are donated to park and trail cleanup and restoration all over the country. So 2% of every beer that's sold, we put in a fund and distribute it to organizations all over the country that are doing amazing work to create outdoor access for underprivileged communities or um, communities that, that might get overlooked. And this year, we've been able to allocate a million bucks to different trail and park organizations all over the country, which is absolutely like it's it's crazy how much growth we've seen in just a couple of years. And, and when I started with Bill and the team, it was just you know it was two dozen people or so, um, and now we're we're growing pretty quickly. Uh, we're building our third brewery, and um, it's just super cool. And, and what's so great about non-alcoholic craft beer too? Um, if I could just share a little bit, yeah, go, please. it's perfect for adventure sports because it's like, you know, beer is so, like you mentioned, so tied in with what we do with sports. You know, I, when I li we lived in Colorado, like we climbed 14ers all the time and you have a summit beer and there's yeah. so many people are coming from, uh, coming from different parts of the country and coming from, um, they're traveling in from sea level, you know what I mean? And they go to Colorado for three days and they climb a 14er and they drink like a, 8% IPA on the summit, it's going to really mess you up. I mean, elevation anyway, plus the climatization from sea level, it's kind of wild that that's a thing because it's, and then you got a, a really rough descent on the way down, then you got to drive home. And so yeah. every time I'd have a summit beer, I'd like, I just get a little bit too, too bad of a headache. Or every time we go out, you know, I still enjoy beer, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But there's so many occasions. I got two kids now, I got a full time job, I host two podcasts. Um, I'm flipping a house, you know, I got rentals and, you know, I've got so many things going on. I almost don't have time, especially during the week to drink an alcoholic beer. And it's like, man, it's so great on a hot day to have like a lunch beer yeah. that I don't feel guilty about. So it's so funny. You mentioned the summit beer because I used to run marathons and they celebrate the oh, same yeah. way. Oh, you yeah. have, you know, you, you've crossed the finish line. And one of the first things we had was a beer. Cause it just, it's so refreshing. Oh, the taste of it is good. You know, best. it tastes good. But I remember 
one of my, and I'm not a super fast marathon runner and I don't run marathons anymore, but the day I ran my fastest race, I had several beers after being completely dehydrated. And I am pretty sure the things, yeah, it was not a good day. The next day I was so dehydrated (laughs) and I was like, I might actually need an IV. I'm, and it wasn't because I drank that much. I maybe had two or three beers, but I was so dehydrated that it just was a bad, bad scenario. But yeah, the, I get it. I get the flavors of beer are just refreshing after it's 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 fun to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. You want to celebrate. And I will say this, you know, it's, you realize it's not the effect of the alcohol you're always looking for. It's the, it's the flavor of the beer. It's that refreshing carbonated brewed beverage. It's the, it's the environment of finishing a race or finishing an adventure. Um, It's the combination of food, you know, like nothing's better after an adventure than like pizza and beer. Um, but sometimes you got to drive, you know, back home because, you know, you're doing a weekend trip yeah. and you got 12 hours to get back. So it's like, there's all these reasons and it, you know, without the alcohol in it, it's really hydrating. You know, beer is a great recovery drink when there's no alcohol involved. You know, there's electrolytes, there's potassium, there's, there's carbs. The only thing that makes it dehydrating is the alcohol itself. So when you remove that, it's almost like a dull Gatorade. So it's pretty cool. You know, it's been a, for someone that just likes to think outside the box and try to do things a little bit different. And I will say too, I come from a family of alcoholics. So drinking in my house growing up was always like a, we didn't do it. Like it was just, my dad was an alcoholic uh, who quit, thankfully when I was, before I was born, right before I was born, but he's been drinking non-alcoholic beer his whole life and been made fun of him for it. You know what I mean? But he's like, I love the taste of beer and this helps me stay sober and, but it, but it is the only beer I can enjoy with all of them. You know what I mean? And then I've got brothers with some medical issues that can't have alcohol and my dad, them and me, me can just sit around a fire and I'll have an athletic together without anything to worry about. And that's like a, it's a cool thing how it's brought us all together. Too. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. I have a funny side story just yeah. on how you got started with athletic. The ironic thing is that I have been thinking about and, and actually, long before this podcast started, I created my own little donor advice fund to for this purpose. Like, I somehow want to help families connect through adventure. So someday, I don't know when it'll be, but someday Ordinary Sherpa will have a similar grant process to really empower and allow organizations, but probably more families is what I'm targeting towards, so that they can experience it. Because I think once you experience it, you see what's possible. And adventure for me has been one of the greatest gifts in my life. And I, I credit a lot of my success, not even in just life, but business. You know, I'm willing to take risks differently. I'm willing to see opportunities differently. And it's all because I was willing to embrace adventure and all that it's taught me. So I'm excited to hear about your little grant opportunity because I think that's one thing in the back of my mind. I've never announced this or talked about it actually openly. It's actually an anonymous fund even. I don't, nobody's even known about it. So it's funny that you mentioned that because that is something that's been for a couple of years. So I'm excited to eventually get there. Oh, that's awesome. That would definitely keep me posted when that, when that day comes. Yeah, absolutely. Mason, you've shared some awesome stories, but also just different ideas, you know, everything from your podcast to the athletic brewing. If people wanted to connect with you, to follow up with you, what is the best way for them to connect or how could they find you? Yeah, I guess just email, you know, masong at athleticbrewing.com or mason at adventuresportspodcast.com. And then I'm on Instagram. Just look up my name, Mason Gravely. I, I think there's only one of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, look me up there. 
Yeah. Awesome. And people listening, you listen to podcasts. So head over and subscribe and check out Adventure Sports Podcast and Without Compromise by Athletic Brewing. Yeah. Fascinating. They're inspirational stories. That's how I would say it. Is that was that how you would define both of them? Just fun, crazy stories of adventures? Sure. Yeah. Adventure Sports Podcast, definitely. It's really more adventure stories podcast. I just want to hear stories. Like I don't want to necessarily yeah. spend a ton of time talking yeah. about gear or talking about, you know, Tons and tons of logistics. I'm like, tell me some stories from your trip. I yeah. want to hear about it. What, what, what did you learn? What lessons did you learn? How to change you? Awesome. Awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to share that I haven't asked? Uh, you know, for anybody going down this path of life that they are wondering what they're going to do next or what's coming, I'd say uh, if you have a dream, don't be afraid to also take whatever opportunities are in front of you. You know, don't, don't don't stick too so closely to that specific dream. If opportunities are popping up all over the place in slightly different directions, you never know where it's going to take you. And I'd say that kind of keeps it that keeps it fun. Awesome! Thank you so much. Cool. I hope you enjoyed these just fantastic stories. I have seven key takeaways from my episode today with Mason. Number one. After years of hunting and fishing and not getting much, he finally gave up the gun and the rods to just enjoy the outdoors. We don't always need a goal or a reason for getting outside. The act is worthy regardless of the outcome. Number two, exploring is what drew Mason into this adventurous lifestyle and conversation with his friend in response to, dude, we got to do something. What could we do? What could you do? Give it a 20% chance and see what you come up with. Number three, Let's reward generosity. Mason was gifted a bike from a local bike shop after sharing his crazy plans, which really propelled his bike adventure from Alaska to Florida into high gear. If you are in or near Highland City, Florida, please stop by Road and Trail Cycles and thank Jason Brown. Tell him you heard about his random act of generosity on the Ordinary Sherpa podcast and gifting bikes to Mason and Paul. How could you be generous to others in adventure? I continue to be amazed by the generosity of the adventure community. Let's make generosity contagious. Number four, the gift of fear allows us to open doors we didn't know were closed. After completing over 5,000 mile bike ride in 66 days from Alaska to Florida, Mason realized what was possible. Number five, sometimes the plan is wrong. While Mason planned a career as a biologist at Yosemite, it didn't fit. He found other ways to design a life that fit his adventurous lifestyle. Number six, you have not because you ask not. The easy part is the ask. The harder part is actually sticking with it. The early wins of his podcast led to big wins. I really like the saying, small hinges open big doors. Asking is just a small hinge. Make the ask. Number seven, look at the world like a big, amazing opportunity. Things are bound to happen. Each thing could lead to something big or simply be an experiment. We don't need to weigh down decisions with expectations. Allow yourself to try it or just do a no thank you try and see what you like and what you don't like. I hope this episode inspires you to see the doors that are opening because of adventure. Maybe they aren't new jobs or massive income, but maybe it's more like stabilizing your health and well-being or social connection. Maybe it's personal growth. If you want to hear more about my story and being a guest on the Adventure Sports Podcast, check out episode 764, Heidi Dusick, How to Keep Adventuring with Kids or Any Other Major Responsibility. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Thank you for being a part of this community and for being inspired to take action, to be an adventurous person, and just explore what's possible. Until next time, 
Keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.